Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours on this episode. I had a great chat with Santos Montano. Uh, Santos is the drummer for Old Man Gloom, as well as he played on the first album uh, from Zazobra, which was Caleb Schofield's uh, quasi-solo project. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about music, co- talking about Caleb specifically, and but also a lot of time spent talking about, you know, Iron Maiden and the Muppets and, you know, just a lot of quirky stuff. Uh, we recorded this at Kurt Ballou's God City Studios in Salem, Massachusetts, and this is my first time meeting Santos. Uh, we, you know, uh, we have some mutual friends in common. So that was cool, but this was the first time having a chat with him, and I had a blast. It was a really cool chat. This was a special one. This is probably one of my favorite uh, episodes of this podcast that I've recorded so far. So hopefully you enjoy it too. Uh, Yeah, check it out. This is the second location that you guys, second studio that you guys worked on this record. In. Yep. Is that is that a new thing for Old Man Gloom? No, it isn't. Uh, when we did Christmas, I think we did two different studios, maybe three. Yeah. Because Caleb and Aaron had lived in LA at that point, right? And I was in New York. Actually, no, I was still in Boston. Me and Nate were still around. Um, but I, I literally recorded Christmas with my car full of stuff and then drove from away from Boston at the end of the studio session yeah. to live in New York. So that's exactly when I moved to New York. Okay. Um, but Caleb and Aaron did a bunch of tracking at a studio in, I think, somewhere just north of L.A. Right. And it's funny, none of us can remember the guy who recorded that session. Right. Even on the album, it, like, it's just like Jim something. Yeah. <laughs> and we all feel really guilty about yeah. it. But so we did... We did part of it in Norwood, the old God City. I think it's in Norwood, or maybe it's Bever, maybe in Norwood. It was the old God City. Okay. Then they did the LA session, and then we all came back together and did it at this God City in Salem. So that one was three different studios, and then we mixed it and did all kinds of noise and stuff in one session yeah. um, at the end of that. So Christmas was like that. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, d- d- at least in my opinion, to my ears, that's probably like sonically the densest old man gloom record. I mean, there's, there's lots of noise and grit on kind of all of them. Yeah. That's the one that every time I listen to it, I pick up shit that I never noticed before. It's funny. That is the old man gloom record. I listen to the least. Really? And I don't really know why, but that one, uh, I, I think it's because maybe it's because of how we did it, but there was such a huge, gap between when we finished the initial tracking and then when we all came back to it. I mean, it was like, it might have even been about a year Yeah. as when we did the initial tracks and then the LA thing happened and then we came back to God City and finished it. So it was just such a huge amount of time sitting on, like, in CDs and really shitty rough mixes and I think I listened to them too much and I started to just hate it because I was like, this this isn't good. This sounds like shit and it's... You know, rough mixes, unmastered, without vocals. It's like it's 
they're a bummer and you can really fuck your head up listening to them over and over until you finish them so i think the amount of time that passed between the beginning of that session and the album coming coming out was so long that by the time the album came out it was just like i I didn't like it so i don't listen to that one that much um do you still have sort of like a kind of like that negative vibe towards it not not negative necessarily i really like the songs we played live from that but yeah i don't know that that record is like meditation if i were to you know emotionally wrangle my bloom records it's like meditations is such a fucking weird cool thing that aaron and i just did in a day you know we did we did it in one day and then seminars those were really interesting especially now because that was the those were the records that we wrote as a band. So yeah. like, we would pick. We have, we're gonna have a guest guest That's appearance cool. in a minute. Hi. Hi. Hello. You don't have to whisper. The baby's not asleep. Too late. I'm already whispering. <laughs> it's, it's it's new man gloom. Might as well keep whispering. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to grab my Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, You're on a podcast for a second. If you want to say hi, feel free. If not, don't worry about it. Hello. <laughs> Uh, what's this podcast? This is, uh, this is my truth. Tell me yours. Oh yeah. I had, uh, another of your bandmates on here a couple years ago. Adam McGrath was on here. So, Oh, right on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was Adam's truth? You can sum it up in like one sentence. Uh, Europe is weird. (laughs) (laughs) He's right. It was, he had just come back from his first where your wounds tour. So he was, uh, he was telling me about all the tales that he was also, up at Northeastern at the time, so we did it in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, Basically, yeah. the antithesis of this room, we were in an enormous function hall, and it was just the two of us in the corner. So, right. Yeah. Funny. Cool. Well, speaking of Adam and all things related to Going to the Nomad world, Stones show? I think so. Nice. I think we're going to hit it tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, meet up with JR. Oh, you're going to get some dinner or something with JR? Uh, I don't know if, if that's in the cards for him, but uh, he's gonna be at his place for like another 45 minutes so. okay well if you want to grab some dinner when i'm done with this and I'm, I'm down Not yeah like, whatever yeah yeah i think that would probably time out nicely cool cool all right enjoy nice to meet you nice to meet you steve that's all staying in right oh yeah of course i don't edit these yeah. of course it's staying in. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> seminar two was the was the first one where you know caleb joined Caleb asked us if we could be an old man gloom which right. is fucking hysterical at this point that <laughs> anyone would ask to be an old man gloom we were like yeah and you know Aaron had wanted Nate in it and Luke joined right after that so that was the those two albums Seminar 2 and 3 we actually wrote as a band over like a normal band's amount of time of writing like right. months you know of practicing once a week and really hashing out songs and jamming and that was like that was a very specific Old Man Gloom time, and I, we never did it again like that. I think yeah. some of the Christmas songs were, we wrote as a band and kind of fleshed out, but for the most part, it was kind of like seat of our pants. Right. And then, obviously, what I said about Christmas um, is how I feel about Christmas. And right. then when we came back and did No, that was you know really special because we were all... None of us really knew if we were going to ever do anything again, and the fact right. that we did it was really fun and special and then the apes was you know the apes was a little more standard gloom like kind of just i mean we really wrote both of those records i think in like six days Mm -hmm. we got together and we jammed for like five or six days wrote both the records went straight into the studio and recorded them and it was like 11 days total 
of you know to just do those records right. which you know that's kind of how we operate yeah so yeah so i have all those records christmas is the one where i'm just like i don't know there's not there's not anything that special about that time except we were all kind of really distant it was the most distance we ever were yeah you know isis was in full fucking isis mode right cave-in was in full cave-in mode right converge they've kind of always been going much stronger than all the other bands sure but so it was the really it was the time in old man gloom where we were just the most detached from each other and it that record feels like it you know even yeah. though when we when we mixed that record here and did vocals it was really fun we got snowed in me and Aaron and Luke really just hunkered down here, slept here, and uh, that was really fun. Yeah. Caleb wasn't here. I don't think Caleb, maybe, I can't remember now if he was here for the whole thing. I think he came in and did vocals for a few days. Um, but that's interesting that you think that Christmas is kind of sonically the densest yeah. record. I mean, the Ape records certainly have a lot of, you know, grit and, you know, sonic uh, um, layers to them as well but yeah I mean and maybe it's I'd say of all the Old Man Gloom records Christmas is the one that I've probably spent the most amount of time with yeah and maybe it's because there was such a gap between that and know that I was just like well this is the last Old Man Gloom record I'm gonna get so this is <laughs> the one I'm gonna listen to because I was I was living in Arizona at the time that No came out and I was like ah there's a new an old man gloom record right and it was all a big surprise we kept it a big secret yeah I will say I think that if I think back on it at that time and think about Christmas as an album I I think that we were really pushing everything volume wise and sonically and you know kind of laughing like can we do this can we get away with this and like are we going to fuck people's speakers up with this record right where with the apes there's a there's a much it's a much more mature record right. and Aaron has you know from Christmas to the Ape of God, Aaron specifically has just you know matured as a person and a musician in such you know in to such a degree that like he's on a fucking other planet than yeah. most people on this planet right. you know like he was Aaron Turner back then but now he's fucking Aaron Turner <laughs> and so when he did the Apes you know it all is very deliberate and calculated and you know it's exactly what he wants it to be where on christmas we were just like we were here fucking around being like should we do this should we do that should we throw this at the wall should we you know go outside and record some snow in the parking lot and you know just really dicking around where the apes are pretty focused yeah you know yeah so maybe you're maybe that's kind of the thing you're hearing is just like there's really no filters on christmas it's just like everything we threw fucking everything at the wall and whatever stuck is what came out on the record. Well, it's interesting, even in the artwork, where there's just kind of this, like the f- f- people who are familiar with the album, that there's so much like printed text flowing throughout the pages of the artwork, and yeah. it's kind of like almost like the audio equivalent of what the booklet looks like. Just flipping through it, it feels like a lot of that. You know, just the the flow. There's there's so much going on in that yeah. record. Totally. I have, actually haven't thought about that in a long time. I guess we, we, we each, Aaron asked us all to write something. And it's funny when I think about it right now, I'm like, it really, it really is very silly. Yeah. But also very much our personalities at that time. Uh, it's a pretty, it's kind of a cool little time capsule, uh, especially Caleb's weird, like, invisible wolf thing. I don't know if you remember yeah. or if you've 
if you've read it in any time yeah. recently, but it's pretty, it's pretty cute and it's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> My, um, basically when I've tried to explain old Bangaloom to friends who listen to heavy stuff, but cause you know, when I say, Oh, it's metal. And they're like, well, what kind of metal? Right, and I'm like, sure. who cares? But I will usually I'll pull out the, the Christmas booklet and point to the, the quote. And I, and you know, now that you're saying that each of you wrote a piece and I'm curious, uh, who wrote it, but it's t- talking about asking God if they can uh, trade Lars Ulrich for Cliff Burton back. <laughs> that, that was Nate. Okay. That whole list is Nate. And I was just like, that sums up this band to me <laughs> perfectly. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I and I was talking to a couple people I work with today and they're like, who are you interviewing? I was like, oh, it's the drummer from one of the greatest bands on the planet. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> no disrespect to Old Mangalim, the greatest band on the planet. <laughs> um, and they're like, who? And I told them, they're like, I've never heard of them. I was like, that doesn't matter to me at all. Yeah, most people haven't. No, but it's <laughs> but but there is a certain faction of people where this band is on such a such a strange level. Like it's, yeah, you know. Um, but I I don't know. I think part of what is great about the band is because you know you guys have such a deprecating sense of humor yeah. for such a monolithic sounding band. Well, yeah. I mean, the, it's. What I specifically have turned Old Man Glim into in the last couple of years um, isn't that dissimilar from the way we've always treated it. Right. I mean, I think me taking over the social media aspect of it has definitely ramped up the fucking ridiculousness. Right. But, you know, it's always, we've always done things like this and had this attitude. And the thing that we all agree on is that there should be nothing silly about the music. Right. You know, there's the, we can do whatever the fuck we want with artwork and interviews and social media and however there's no there's no limits, there's no rules, but we all agree on the music being what it is, sure. you know, and that silliness it doesn't really translate into into how we play or what we play. And we don't talk about that. It's just this this it's just always the way it's been like right. music is the music and then the entity of old man gloom is a completely different thing yeah and i i i think maybe that's what sets us apart from other bands that want to be goofy yeah is you know the goofiness really stops at the music sure yeah. <laughs> and the two don't really make sense together but again i think that's why people respond to it because it's just it's a complete non sequitur but it's pretty, I mean, it's enjoyable, you know? I mean, well, it's a weird dichotomy to the band. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it, I think it also sort of lends a sort of realness to the band that a lot of, you know, quote unquote, super serious, heavy bands just, they take themselves so seriously that it's oh, a yeah. little unbearable. It is. I completely agree. I mean, and again, kind of piggybacking on what I was just saying, it's like, we can take the music seriously. We can play heavy fucking music and we can do it well and put energy into it and all that shit. But like, we don't have to be this, you know, this caricature of a metal band. Right. And it's just, it's fucking embarrassing. Right. It's totally embarrassing, you know? Well, I mean, I would imagine being in one of those bands, just having to do that posturing, it's got to be exhausting after a while. Or if you like, if you really are living 
that life, it's, you know, that also is hard for me to imagine. Right. I mean, you know, it's funny that the sort of the trope of heavy music to the non-heavy music listeners that, like, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, like some fucking bubblehead being like, <laughs> why is he so angry? What's he shouting about? Right. It's like, I mean, to me, in Old Man Gloom, like, there's very little anger or hate or darkness or any of this stuff. Like, it's just, it's just not what it is. It's just loud and really fucking heavy. Right. But, you know, we don't use like bloody evil imagery or any of that. Cause that's not who we are. Right. Like we are really loving people and positive people for the most part. And like, we just play this style of music. And I think it's really possible for a band to be light and fun and loving and positive, but also just play really heavy music. Right. And that's what we do. And again, I think people really respond to that yeah. because not everybody who listens to heavy music like wants to fucking line their bedroom wall with trash bags and like fucking have a red light and drink squirrel blood. Like right. it's just not who the fuck is like that? Like yeah. people are living okay lives and like heavy music. Yeah. You know? I was um you know, I, I I was talking to a friend who, you know, she's she's younger, she's in her twenties, and you know, doesn't really listen to heavy music. But we were talking the other day, and you know, I, I Caleb came up, and yeah. so I played um, the final transmission track, sure. the first, you know, the first track, which Absolutely. is a demo. It's just Caleb by himself, but ex- you know, kind of explaining to her the story behind it, and you know, because um, I I knew Caleb a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, super well, but I knew him a little bit. And, uh, so I was just kind of explaining and I was like, but this whole community came together, you know, through, through the tribute shows and whatnot. And it was just kind of explaining. And then, cause it's only a two minute track and my phone was just went on shuffle. So then it pulled up, uh, Zazobra song right after. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, believe it or not, that's the same guy. And she's just like, Oh, he seems really angry. I'm like, yeah, but he was like the kindest person in the world. I yeah. was just like, you know, it's a release. It's you know, the music is a it's release. It's just a style of music, you yeah. know, and like, it's just that line between heavy music and being evil. Like, it's just as blurry as like, I don't know, like De La Soul and fucking like you know, gangster rap. It's like, right. yeah, they're. They're rapping and, you know, they're living a, a lifestyle that it's it's not like they're not criminals. Right. The two don't have to be that. And right. Just like metal, you don't have to be a fucking, you know, a Norwegian black metal stabbing your head in the friend guy to right. like play heavy music and and like do screamy vocals. Right. So. Well, and I mean, the, the, the inverse of that is also true because like Gary Glitter doesn't make you know, uh, horrible, you know, he made very catchy music, right. but he's an awful, awful human right, being. Exactly. And, you know, uh, same thing with that, that band lost profits, which was like a rap oh, metal God, band. And well, yeah, exactly. Disgusting. I just, uh, you know, I won't go into that anymore, yeah. but anyone who knows about that knows about that. And I'm just like, Oh Christ. So yeah, it's, it's the music you play is not a reflection of the inner workings of your soul. Absolutely. So. And, you know, again, with old man gloom, you know, lyrically, it's like, it's just not it's just not who we are. Right. Right. So yeah. So how so 
after so Caleb asked to join Old Man Gloom. At one point, like how how did Zazobra first come about? I mean, I know you guys lived together at one point. We did, yeah. But Zazobra happened. Uh, try again. I'm trying to think of the timeline. So even even when Caleb and I lived together, we had had this uh, this plan to do a project together. Okay. And in the very early days when we lived together. We, that project was called Antenna. And so we were going to be a band, drum and bass, Antenna. We even took some, like, it's funny, I just this found This is pre-Caven Antenna being an album? Yeah. Okay. So, Ante- so Caleb's obsession with the band name Antenna, I believe, led to the album being called Antenna. Okay. And I recall calling him and being like, well... Thanks a lot, Thanks dude. Thanks a lot, dude. There goes the Antenna name. I mean, he thought of the name, so... Sure. He could do um, what he wanted. But I think we, I even have some photos that he and I took in those days where he's playing drums and I'm kind of sitting by the drum set and we, you know, taking some selfies with an actual film camera, which I yeah. guess they weren't called selfies at that point. Um, but then when he moved to L.A., you know, I think Caven weren't super... It happened at a time when Caven weren't super active and he finally, you know... We we were really just missing each other, yeah. you know, because I was living in New York at that point. He was in L.A., and we were kind of, you know, we would talk on the phone. This was pre-texting and talk on the phone every once in a while, and we, I, I can't remember the details, but he finally was like, okay, I've got some ideas, and he wrote some demos and sent them to me, which I actually found recently. They're pretty fascinating to listen to now. Four-track, mm. you know, cassette demos. Yeah. And I learned the songs. He flew out to New York, and we rehearsed there for like a few days. And I was working at this uh, prop fabricating factory, mm-hmm. you know, wood shop in Greenpoint. And this was when Greenpoint in Brooklyn was still kind of a shithole. It's like two thousand maybe four. Mm-hmm. And so I knew the super of this building where the wood shop was, and he gave me a whole floor of a warehouse to just have as a practice space for free. Yeah. So it was this huge concrete room with just my drum set in the middle of it. And it sounded fucking insane. It was so loud. So Caleb came down, and we rehearsed for a couple days. And then I flew to L.A., and we were here for a few more days. And um, I'm sorry, it was the opposite. I went to L.A. first, then he came to New York, and um, we wrote a couple more songs and went into the studio in New York with Andrew Schneider. Yeah. And it was it was a real whirlwind. Like, I, you know, we had such a small amount of time to do it. And I had kind of, we had talked about songs to play drums, for me to play drums on. And then there was a few songs and it was just like, I'm not even going to bother. And we both agreed, like, fuck it. We'll just leave the drum machines in there. Yeah. Um, and so we recorded, you know, I think six or seven songs with me playing drums, and then there was maybe four with uh, just that we just left the electronics drums on there. Yeah. So I did my drum tracks, and then I had to work, so I was going to work every day, and Caleb was just staying up with Andrew every night and just working and Put working and playing all the bass, playing all the guitar, yeah. and doing all the vocals. And that was like a marathon labor of love for Caleb, that yeah. record. And I would just show up in the evening, check in on him. You know, we would do some drum overdubs every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was all just him and Andrew just banging that record out. I mean, I think they even mixed it in that session. Um, so that was a quick one. So, and that's probably uh, like that's such a special record a- as a listener to me because it was really the first time like where Caleb 
was writing everything. And, yeah. And it was just like, all right, this is, it was, it was kind of funny to see, you know, cause the guys in Caven have played together in various formations and stuff like that. And you could see when different parts were pulled out. Okay. This is, this person's influence is this sound. And it totally. was just, I got to kind of see like the, the marrow of what, what Caleb was bringing to Caven. And I was just like, Oh, this is the shit that I connect with, with Caven. This is like, this is the, the, the molten Schofield stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, we were listening to some some stuff today, some Caleb stuff, and just like that Caleb riff style is just, it's unmistakable. It's yeah. just like, it's, you know, his pacing, the way he strummed, the little tags he would do from riff to riff. Yeah. It's just so him. And yeah. I agree, that record, I listened to it, and it's just like, there are songs on there that are just, you know, they're so Caleb. And as a drummer, you know, I fucking just always hands down love playing Caleb songs yeah you know Nate and Aaron both write awesome songs but Caleb songs for me and I don't know that I've ever talked to JR about this but like Caleb songs I just lock right into it and it's like it's fucking tailor made for my style and for what I like to play and the way I like to play so you know when I get when I would get songs from him I just I couldn't wait to just play them yeah and you know a song like Invisible Wolves, you know, that's just like, that's just what I want. That's right. Those are the kind of songs I want. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Well, so not to completely derail this into something else, but <laughs> we have we have a bunch of songs that Caleb wrote coming on this record. Okay. And some of them are even tracks that we've, that he did multi-tracks at home just yeah. on, on an iPad. Yeah. And so we're going to be including those songs on this album. So Interesting. I was, be, I was really curious about that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just last night went through, um, Caleb's wife was generous enough to give us the iPad and let us take all the stuff off of it. And, mm. you know, there were 15 songs on there. Yeah. And so I was just kind of combing through them last night and, you know, I'd open them up and you just, you hear that tone, you hear that riff, that riffing. And it's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is Caleb, you know? How's that, I mean, how's that hit you now, hearing, hearing your friend? Uh, oh, it's, it's awful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, you know, gloom is one thing, but, you know, in these tribute shows, yeah, having to practice for those shows, having to play these songs, it's like, especially harmonic tremors, because yeah. that, Harmonic Tremors is like a Polaroid of our friendship at that time. Yeah. And, you know, we did it because we loved each other and we missed each other and we wanted to spend more time with one right. another, you know? Right. And so that record, it's like, that was just a love letter between us just to hang out. And so hearing that now or having to like put headphones on and put that into my head and play along to it from a pragmatic standpoint mm-hmm. of like, I'm going to have to get on stage and play these songs. So I need to tighten them up and yeah. like get my muscle memory back and, you know, to have to do that, but, you know, but then it, it comes into my ears, you know, and that's, that's just such a specific me and Caleb thing that it's, it's, it's horrible. Sure. You know, it's like, it's grueling. Yeah. Especially really more in the quiet moments when I'm playing them by myself with just the recording to tighten them up. Those were the hardest. <laughs> And honestly, you know, in the year and a half, almost two years since Caleb passed, it's like I listened to a lot of Caven, and Caven was a 
safe band for me to listen to mm-hmm. um, since his passing. And it was a way to, you know, connect with my friend and sort of have sort of process feelings, but it wasn't too invested. Sure. So Zobra, I can't listen to. Sure. I can't listen to it. I can't put it on. part of you. I can't, it's, I can't listen to us, mm-hmm. you know, I can listen to him in cave in and him and those guys, but listening to us is really fucking hard. Yeah. Gloom. It's less so mm-hmm. because, you know, there's just, there's more, there's more to it. Mm-hmm. There's more personalities. There's more connections that I have and yeah. it's just different. So Zobra so Zobra is, is just still off limits for me. Sure, sure. That being said, you know, since we've played these songs live, uh, I've, I've loved it. You know, I, I really love getting up there. And, you know, we did a couple songs with Jake and then a couple songs with Aaron singing. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool. And, you know, in Boston, we did it with uh, Kevin Baker yeah. and Aaron. And, you know, it was really special to do that. Yeah, listening to it, just putting it on and uh, going through that is not something I've figured out yet. Sure. And I'm not sure. sure I I'm not sure I ever will, especially with harmonic tremors. Yeah. You know. It was an it was an interesting it's it's been an interesting thing with with uh, you know, with Caleb's passing because, you know, obviously People die in bands. It's uh, since basically you know since the Big Bopper, you know. Yeah, but I would have said Richie Valens, but you know, sure, I'm Mexican, so <laughs> yeah, you got to represent. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, but y- usually there is a bit of you know distance. You don't know much about the people, but in this in this case with the tribute shows, and you know there was the 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 little documentary beforehand where there was a lot of. Uh, you know, you spoke a bit, and mm-hmm. Aaron spoke in a bit. Where, um, and then you know, Adam and Steve played the Roadburn show, yeah. and it was very interesting because you know it's a smaller community around you know Caven and Old Man Gloom and all those bands, but it's pretty tight knit. But it was also like y- you guys were very open, very um, public to some degree about what you were going through and I'd never really seen that before and it was something that um, I think helped a lot of people but it also at least for me kind of endeared some people that I knew some people that I didn't know but everyone loved Caleb it sort of was just like this is this is something fucking special here yeah I don't I'm not really sure you know because I'm so in it sure and I've never I guess I re- haven't really clocked another artist's passing in the same sure. way. Um, I mean, so I can't, re- I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it's kind of, it's cool to hear that, you know, from your perspective, yeah. it, it it didn't feel like it, that it had a, a unique sort of special feel to it. I mean, obviously for us, it's sure. life altering. So it's very special and, you know, I, I what I can say is that having to do this publicly is really fucking weird. Sure. And really difficult and adds a whole new layer to things um, that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. Sure. Um, but I think we all agreed very quickly after Caleb's passing that 
you know, we had a responsibility to Caleb's family. Yeah. And we all had this, this thing, this power to help them. Yeah. And whether or not we felt comfortable being vulnerable or emoting in public, it kind of didn't matter. Sure. Because, you know, Caleb's family, they needed us. They needed our help. Sure. They didn't ask for help. And Jen, Caleb's wife, is amazing and capable and hardworking. And, you know, no matter if Caleb was in a band or not, she would, she was going to keep, you know, take care of the family. Sure. So it's not like they pleaded with us. That's not how it happened at all. We just knew that like Caleb had left this space and that we had the ability to fill that space in a way that, you know, financially and, you know, to really rally behind the family. And so, you know, there was no hesitation on anybody's part and none of the bands that, you know, any of the bands that played either show, nobody was difficult or weird mm-hmm. or selfish. Everybody was just like, yeah, we're, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. And, you know, we had asked even some other bands that I, I won't, I won't yeah. mention and they were totally on board. Um, and it was only scheduling that prevented the shows from being even more fucking insane than they, they right. already were. Right. Um, but you know, doing what we've had to do publicly and everything since, you know, it's, I was really unprepared for it. Mm. And so I, I'm really open about my life and everything and not necessarily on the old man gloom social medias, because that is like a very specific, uh, character that I play there. And it has a, it has a, a dimension to it that, that everything else does in. And I, I like what I've done there and I, I can be, you know, I can be sincere when I want to, and I can take it to the complete opposite direction when I want to. And right. for the most part, people understand it, but in my, not even in my personal life, just with, you know, in my personal life, even with acquaintances, I'm very open in that, like my, I came from a really fucked up place mm-hmm. and I've experienced a huge amount of loss in that every single person that I've, ever been related to is dead Mm. like I grew up with a brother and he died when we were teenagers my mom's dead my dad's dead all my uncles and aunts are dead you know my grandparents so I literally have nobody in my life that knew me as a child a couple cousins that I'm sort of distant with yeah um so I've experienced a little more loss than anybody that I know yeah and I've had to really like it's always fallen on me to deal with you know like I've had to take care of everything and, you know, be the person left behind Mm -hmm. and in every regard, you know, in just the practical aspect of houses and garbage that people leave and emotional and being the only person that remembers these people that were alive and a part of my family. Yeah. Um, So I really was thinking that I was going to be very prepared for this Mm -hmm. and I wasn't. Yeah. The all of my experiences didn't prepare me for Caleb, and it certainly didn't prepare me for having to do what we've had to do in the public and have these conversations with people I'd never met before right. about this person. And it's it's all, I mean it's been a learning experience for me because I've definitely had the feeling of like, fuck you, don't talk to me about his fucking bass tone. Right. I don't want to talk about his bass tone. Sure, like. 
get away from me. You know, this is my fucking friend yeah. and he has kids like fuck off. Yeah. Then I've had to swing back the other way being like, no, this is, this person was moved by Caleb mm-hmm. and his music and his bass tone, which even I talk about his bass tone and his voice and all those things on stage. It's like, it was monstrous. It was special. Yeah. It was, you know, one in 10 million. Yeah. And, I, in my selfish moments, I could let myself go there being like, don't fucking, don't reduce him to a bass tone. Right. And then in my more generous, rational moments, I can be like, no, that is, that is what he put in the world. And that's what this person was receiving. They didn't get him like I got him. Like they didn't receive the gift of Caleb like I was so lucky to have, yeah. you know, but they got this and it was special to them and they value it. And I'm a fucking asshole for not valuing that, you know, but this is just, that's grief, sure. you know? And that's like, that's the complicated nature of what we've had to do since all this happened. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're probably the only one who would look at it as you being an asshole with that. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and to be fair, I've never said that to anybody. Sure. I've never been a fucker to anybody who's like wanted to talk to me about Caleb at shows. I'm I'm like try to be as gracious as possible sure. and I, I you know, I really do appreciate it and value it. Um there's been a few people that did, you know, that wrote weird shit online where I was like, "Fuck you. Right. What the fuck is wrong with you?" But that's that's, that's the media. internet. Yeah, yeah, that's the internet. Yeah, nothing is sacred um, on, on the internet. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, you know, I mean, we're still, we're still in it. You know, we're about to, you know, tomorrow morning, I'm going to record three songs that Caleb, you know, that's just Caleb in my ears. And it doesn't have the same feeling as harmonic tremors, of course, but you know, I don't know how it's going to feel. And when the record comes out, obviously just like Caven has had to do, we're going to have to talk a lot about it. Sure. And I'm, I'm not keeping it a secret, the whole Caleb song thing, but I'm certainly... I think you're the first person, you know, on like a podcast yeah. or, or, and it, uh, I think I did an interview at Roadburn where I talked about it a little bit. Um, but there's going to be a lot more and we're going to yeah. have to keep talking about it. And this is, this record's going to be all about Caleb and we're really going to have to figure that out, yeah. you know? And I've, I've read interviews with the Caven guys and I've talked to them about it and it's not easy. Sure. You know, and it's, I understand why people want to talk about it and they deserve to talk about it and people want to know these things and I get it and I want to do that. But then at the same time, it's like, man, you know, for us, it's just like the levels of, of what we go through in all this, it's not easy. You know, it's really heavy. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to get any easier for a little while. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember what the original question was, but <laughs> I mean that's sort of what I love about this this podcast. Why I started doing it is I just have a ton of friends who are musicians, a ton of friends who are writers, you know, creative people, and I just get together, coffee, drink, whatever, and we just talk. Yeah. But then inevitably, I'd be talking to another friend later and be like, "Oh, I have my friend who did this and this, and we were talking about this last month." And so many people were like, "Wow, you know a lot of." people who do a lot of different things and I was just like I do maybe I should just start fucking recording these so it wasn't so much like an interview I mean a couple people at work today are like have you thought about the questions you're going to ask me I was like no I was like, <laughs> I was like first of all this is different where the, on, with few exceptions 
it's usually someone I know to some degree. And yeah. You know, full disclosure, um, we knew some people in common, so it wasn't like completely going in blind, but we had never met. Yeah. Uh, well, I I shook your hand at, at 3S Art Space a couple years ago, but that's different than yeah. meeting a person. Sure. That's, you know, so, but I was just like, I just want to have a chat with him. I was like, this is a dude who's made some of my favorite music of the last 20 years. He's making music right now. Yeah. Let's talk. I, and I imagine you probably in your mind were like, eh, I bet he can just talk for a little while. Well, it's, so... Uh, <laughs> I got some words. Yeah, I just, I, uh, we have a mutual acquaintance, Ra- Rachel Jones, who I talked to a few... Ugh, uh, Rachel Jones. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, he's different in person than he is. She's like, you'll have an interesting conversation. <laughs> what does that mean, different than... I, she didn't explain it. I was just like, okay. See, you know... I, <laughs> I'm just a shit stir. I right have now. to say... The, when I got to Roadburn, after all of my fucking Roadburn antics, Becky, who's like runs this sort of Roadburn social medias, and I think does the you know press, and she's right. kind of like her and Walter are the Roadburn team. She was like, "Oh, you're you're kind of just like you are online you, in real life, or vice versa. Right. You, you are in real life just like you are online." It's like most people, it's you know, it's not like that. You meet if somebody's a real shit talker online, you meet them, and they're like sort of quiet and weird and awkward and she's like yeah you're you're kind of a dick in real life too and like you know can really keep up and i it's kind of fucked up that rachel jones doesn't think that i'm uh that i'm i'm gonna have to go after i guess to be fair i'm a lot nicer to her in real life than i am online right Right. So maybe that's why she thinks I'm not the same. <laughs> it's it's funny, and I'm sure I'll hear from Rachel and about that. That's not what I meant. <laughs> um, yeah, we had had uh, you know we had a great conversation, and what it, unfortunately ninety percent of the conversation we had when her and I recorded a podcast got lost because I only had one recorder that uh, day. That's why there's two going. Now. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, I I, I got to bring two. Yeah. Um, uh, there were she was at Vegas at Psycho Vegas actually. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she was the one that was with me and Steve when we went to go see the Misfits, and the line was like a fucking you know many thousand people line snake, and we were right. just like, sorry Rachel, we're going. Right, and we totally ditched her to be with the commoners right. and wait in line. We were like, artist passes. Right. Yeah. Nah, can't blame it. No. Nah. How was how was that set? The Misfits set. Yeah. It was fucking insane. It yeah. was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. Not in a good way, in a ridiculous way. Sure. So they come out, and Jerry only, like, the first thing that happens, he tries to do a knee slide. He sticks to the stage and just, <laughs> like, eats shit. <laughs> and then Glenn comes out and starts singing. So it's Dave Lombardo playing drums, Glenn singing. Doyle walks out to start playing guitar. His rig instantly shits the bed. Yeah. And so he just leaves the stage straight away. Right. Walks on stage, walks right back off. Jerry only's recovering from a failed knee slide, right. and Glenn's just like singing. I don't even remember what they opened with. So Dave's just trying to do his. Dave Lombardo is just like I'm. Just gonna keep playing out, right. and Glenn is singing, so it's fine. They also have this twenty-something looking dude way at the back of the stage. He's not allowed to be at the front of the stage. Yep. He's way in the back by the uh, by the stacks of amps. And he's playing guitar and singing the songs, and he's the only thing keeping that fucking shit right. together. Right. So. Three songs, literally after the third song, like this first song ends, Glenn's like, let's do blah, 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 and they just go, Dave Lombardo just starts, and they just go right into it. Three songs happen, and Dave, uh, Glenn realizes that Doyle isn't on stage, and he looks around, he's like, 
I guess I should figure out what's going on. And he fucking leaves the stage. Go And there's like a an army of techs back there trying to fix the rig. Right. He talks to them for a second, comes back out, and just fucking calls out another song. And they just keep playing without Doyle. Doyle missed like six songs. And then he finally came out. When he came out, his guitar sounded horrible. Right. It was so loud. He punches it to play it. Like he, he literally punches the guitar as a guitar pick. It's insane. My theory is that like the Misfits without Glenn had to be the Misfits to such a degree that like they were like, oh, on that live album, he Glenn says we play these guitars like a fucking jackhammer. What do you think we're lightweights? So Doyle was like, oh, I guess now I have to play the guitar Talk like a jackhammer, it. like right. literally, not figuratively, but I literally have to play it like my arm is a jackhammer, <laughs> and that's just what he does, and it sounds fucking terrible. Right. Um, so also. Jerry does this thing where he has a bass rigged up to break. So he picks it up and he breaks it over his knee and he throws it. And it's this big, like, look how strong I am. I broke my bass over his knee. So he did it the first time, breaks it over his knee. Glenn is like, let's play Hollywood Babylon. And Dave Lombardo goes, but the bass is on the ground broken in half. And like the, the guy hasn't brought over the next bass. So, Doyle's not on stage. Jerry has a broken bass, and Dave Lombardo and Glenn are just playing fucking Hollywood Babylon. It was insane. Turns out Jerry just breaks the bass like six times during every set. Right. Which is like, dude, if you're going to break your fucking bass over your knee as a prop, like, you do it once, maybe twice, maybe, maybe twice, and it has like an effect where people are like, oh, he's so strong. Right. You don't do it like six times. It's insane. So finally, Doyle's guitar works. It comes on. It sounds terrible, and they played a lot of Misfit songs. I will say, Glenn's voice sounded awesome. Nice. And I've seen Danzig many times, and his voice is almost always completely blown out. He sounded fucking great in the set, and it was really fun. Nice. See, that's the thing. I was just like, well, I never, I've never seen the Misfits, and I, and you know, for years and years when they were touring with all the different incarnations, yeah. and I was like, I'm not going to see the Misfits without Glenn Danzig. Yeah. And then when that came around, I was like, I don't know if I can see that though. So that's good to. Hear. I mean, I've seen Danzig the yeah. band, but um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. I, I had fun. Um, they're playing at Madison Square Garden in in October, and I might go to that one too. Um, but I'm like a Danzig fanatic. Yeah. So. Are you a big Lombardo fan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, I fucking loved, especially like Seasons came out and that was right at the right age for me, right in my wheelhouse. And yeah. Yeah, I love that record. And I think that's Dave's best record. He sure. fucking shreds that record. So, what, do you, what do you think about him playing with Mr. Bungle? Oh, I heard about that. Uh, you know, I'm not a Mr. Bungle guy. Interesting. You know, Steve was talking, Steve and I were talking about that on the way up here and I think Steve's going to try to go. He's never caught Mr. Bungle. Actually, Steve was saying he's never seen any Mike Patton band, um, and he's a big Faith No More fan. I'm Faith No More didn't hit with me. Really? Yeah. Take uh, it or leave it. I guess. Well, I, how old are you? Late thirties? Um, I wish I'm forty-one. Oh, okay, so you're yeah, you're only a couple years younger than me. Yeah. But. So by the time like Faith No More hit, I was already into like death metal okay. and, and punk. So like that makes sense. Yeah. So if you had sort of surpassed where they were when they kind of broke, then, yeah. yeah, it would be tough to go back. I mean, I was you know, I'm a pastor's kid, so I wasn't allowed to listen to any secular music until I started you know sneaking out and buying my own tapes and right. hiding them so 89 90 you know is you know warrant 
Skid Row, right. Poison, and then, you know, 91 happened with all the grunge, and that just blew my mind, and, you know, that, along with, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Tool sure. and stuff like that. So that kind of changed everything for me, and that's around the time that Faith No More hit, so I was like, oh, you can do... You can do whatever you want. If, right. if you're good enough, you can pull it off. Totally. Um, but yeah, if you if you were already into you know punk and well, I had a I had an older brother, and so he was you know he was four years older than me, and he was really into like he got really into punk, and then he you know found like all that early earache stuff right. and uh, Danzig and Slayer and all that stuff. So by the time grunge and all that stuff hit. I had already been convinced by my older brother that like this is radio shit. We don't listen to that. We're like underground, right. you know. So, sure. so it's yeah. I missed a lot of stuff, and actually, I've gone back in retrospect and listened to a lot of that, and yeah. it's really, it's great. Yeah. But I was just such a you know a child, a sure. child that was a snob. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. It's I have like have the opposite of that because I remember you know walking through high school and seeing guys in. Like Iron Maiden shirts and, you know, all the different incarnations of Eddie. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that must be the most evil band in the world. Totally. So for me, for the longest time, Iron Maiden was like off limits. I was like, right. So at like 39, I bought my first Maiden record and I was like, oh, these guys aren't really dangerous at <laughs> 39? all. 39? Yeah. Holy I was just, shit, you man. know, and I had heard that, you know, you know, I knew like Run to the Hills and, you know, all that stuff. But as far as like listening to a whole Maiden record, like, and I had, I'd owned a record store. I'd worked in record stores, but I had just never listened to an entire Maiden record because it was still this weird thing. And it's them and Judas Priest was kind of like the double prong, like because, like I said, being a pastor's kid, it was like these are the most oh, yeah. satanic bands in the world. I'm like, I mean, Maiden is like operatic, and I'm just like, these guys are goofy. <laughs> I mean, they're. I'm not trying to shit on Iron Maiden. They're a great band, but it was also like I didn't get them at the point you're supposed to get into Iron Maiden. Right. So as an adult, I'm like. I'm embarrassed for myself right now that I'm listening to this. <laughs> I had uh, I, I dubbed "Run to the Hills" my favorite song, uh, and I brought George Ching, my childhood friend. I think I was in I was in like third or fourth grade, yeah. and I brought George Ching over to my my house, my trailer, yeah. and I was like, "This is my favorite song," and I played it for him and gave him the cassette cover. It was "Run to the Hills," yeah. and he left and told his mom and then he wasn't allowed to come over anymore because I listened to evil music and I was literally in fucking third grade yeah and yeah George Ching didn't like it wasn't into it huh but yeah we were really at that time you know it was all Dio Maiden yeah and then it just escal it escalated very quickly yeah but same with Danzig you know we we were all in on the Misfits, and I bought the first Danzig record the day it came, like the day it hit record stores yeah. in 1988. Yeah. My brother and I went and bought like the cassette. Yeah. We were so stoked. It's a great album. I mean, I still swear by all four of the first four Danzig oh, records. Oh, me too, man. I, I actually just did a the two minutes uh, to late night podcast talking about Danzig 4. Nice. Totally underrated. Super underrated record. Yeah. I like it more than three. Like, I think there are better songs on that yeah. than Danzig 3. Yeah, as far as, like, a front-to-back album, I'm like, this is a solid goddamn record. Absolutely. It's corny. I'm like, it's not. You don't understand. Not corny at all. Fucking no. Rick Rubin, no. you know, Chuck Biscuits, John Christ, Eerie Vaughn. Like, it's all yeah. there, man. There's a, there's some shitty songs, but there's shitty songs on 3. There's shitty songs on 2. Right. There's shitty songs on 1. Yeah. There's shitty Misfit songs. <laughs> yeah. Bring Come Her Back. Death is, like, one of my favorite songs of all time. Bring Her a Death? Yeah. yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Dominion's a good one. Yeah. Coming Down to Die is like in my 
or going down to die. That's like in my top five Danzig songs. Nice. It's that song rules. Yeah, and then you did Danzig five, and I was like, ah, never a, mind. Yeah, that's another story. Never that's mind. Unlistenable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a chat with. At a, at a meet and greet like 10 years ago with Jerry Cantrell and mm-hmm. he because uh, he played guitar on that record he did? not all of it but like five songs because Glenn did most of the guitars himself right. which is why it sounds like that and I was like hey man you're one of my favorite guitar players of all time sorry you got to play it he's like Glenn's a friend <laughs> that was all he said yeah yeah, and Joey Castillo played on that too, yeah. which is really weird. I, I, apparently, it's really hard to find that album. Like, it's not out there. Yeah, because it was Hollywood Records, which right. Disney owned, and then they got in all sorts. It was that record, and then ICP, like, within like six months, came out, and people were like, Disney owns this label that's putting out all this satanic music. And so, it, yeah, it went out of print for a long time. I mean, I, I can't say there's a whole lot of people that are like bummed that it's out of print. I mean, no, he, Glenn's reissued it a couple times himself on his, you know, his uh, Evil Live or whatever yeah. his label is. But yeah, that's and you know, uh, there's merits to some of the stuff that he's doing now. But it's nothing to to me. Nothing can hold a candle to those four first, you know, original lineup bands yeah. and records. That's that's it. That's the end of the line for me. Four is four is it? Yeah. People have tried to talk to me about some of the later ones, but yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean. It sort of became a parody at that point. Yeah, he also is just so bad live now. I mean, his voice is so fucking blown. Yeah, it's a bummer actually. Yeah, um, but you said he was good with the Misfits. He was great. It really it had the vibe that like of a one off. So maybe he you know he wasn't on tour. You know, he was rested. Yeah, he was yeah. rested, and he sounded fucking great. I was. It's the best I've ever heard him. I've seen him a bunch of times, and it's the really the best I've seen him. Yeah, uh, but hear him. It's it sounded great. Um, I I was working for Strawberries Music at I the time that yeah. Danzig Five came out, and he did a he did an in store at the Bangor Main. Mm-hmm. So, so I worked it, and uh, that's when I like realized how tiny a person he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, because uh, he was wearing black jeans, of course, and like it wasn't a mesh shirt, but it was see through ish. It was like a you know, a uh, varsity football warm up. You yeah. Know? And uh, he got up out of his chair at one point and moved. And I was like, oh, there's something stuck to the back of his pants. And I was like, oh, no, that's his ass hair poking out of the back of his jeans. He had a hole about the size of a quarter and just this tuft of hair <laughs> coming out of it. So, so I just remembered, you know, talking to some people. They're like, you got to meet Danzig? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, what's your impression of him? I'm like, he has a hairy ass. And they're like, cool. That's, that's a great story, Scott. So I guess he doesn't wear underwear, huh? Either that or he was wearing fur underwear, but I can't imagine why. I could see Danzig convincing himself that he needed to wear, like, horse hair underwear. Right. As, like, some sort of spooky torture. Right. I could see that. I mean, you know. I, I think a lot about what Glenn's personal life is like. You know, like, if he has a special lady or if he has you know, cousins that he has to see or, right. you know, uh, like what is, I just think about that, that. Does he order Thai food every night? Like what does he cook? Does he enjoy cooking? Right. What yeah. It's got, I mean, again, it, talking about taking yourself too seriously, it's got to be exhausting keeping up the image no matter where you go. Oh yeah. I was saying that on the two minutes podcast where it's like Danzig has been Danzig for a fucking long right. time. Right. Like Danzig has been 
Danzig since 77. You know, that's when the first Misfits record came out. He has no fucking concept of reality. But what's weird, though, is, like, his contemporaries, so, like, Henry Rollins has been 100% Henry Rollins since about 81. That's true. But he's very comfortable as a middle-aged man. Like, he's... Yeah, I wonder what the difference is. Like, what, what, how... I mean, Henry's a little bit, you know, he's a little fucked up, too. He's kind of sure. a... He's a little bit of a narcissist, and I don't know. He's a little bit of a blowhard, but he's not Danzig. Right. Danzig is completely out of touch with reality, and I wonder why. I, I can't even speculate. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Glenn just has no interest in like self reflection or being better. You know, self improvement. Sure. And Henry Rollins definitely seems like he, you know, has a thirst for knowledge and he's obviously a maniacal exerciser. You know, right. I think that's a part of his neurosis. Yeah. Um, so maybe self-improvement is a big part of it. And Glenn is just like, I'm fucking Glenn. How right. could you improve this? Yeah. And so he just gets in this weird cyclone of fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, this is all total speculation. Sure. <laughs> I have no sure. idea. But yeah, they did not they did not get weird in the same way. Right, yeah, they diverged for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the... Because <laughs> they kind of came up... I mean, Glenn was a little before Henry, but they were certainly contemporaries. But I look at it in the same way I look at a band like Corn and the Deftones, where they came out around the same time, roughly the same sort of sound around the same time, and where Deftones have this weird, like... Depeche Mode, like, angular kind of vibe to them now, and Korn is just, like, you know, wet overalls and <laughs> hay, and I'm just like... Oh, wet overalls. I, I don't know, just something about uh, when I see someone wearing, like, a recent Korn tour t-shirt, I'm like, who hurt you, man? Like, yeah, like, what? I'm like, you're, you're 45, what's going on? The internet, it's out there, like, there's music yeah. out there for you to find. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I... I I thought about this after the two minutes podcast, but um, I saw Danzig and I don't remember what, maybe it was like between three and four Mm. or maybe it was right after four came out. I can't remember, but I was working at a college radio station in Santa Fe in New Mexico. It was like a community college radio station and they got me an interview with Danzig and I was so stoked to went and they were playing with Marilyn. It was Danzig headlining with Marilyn Manson as support and then Korn opening. Yeah. And I got there and we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally the tour manager came out. He's like, Glenn, Glenn doesn't have time. Sorry, guys. It's not going to happen. He's like, you can interview Marilyn Manson, though, if you want. Right. And I was like, who the fuck is Marilyn? I'm not right. fucking interviewing Marilyn Manson. And I was so pissed and, you know, whatever. Didn't interview anybody and went to the show. And it was, it was pretty fun. It was original lineup and everything. Yeah. But, it's uh, we watched. I watched Corn, and I actually thought they were really good. Sure, I thought Marilyn Manson was terrible. Yeah, like, this is embarrassing. Um, but this was, you know, and then not even six months, a year later, you know, those two bands were just a huge, especially Marilyn Manson. Sure, so huge. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that guy. Right, turned down an interview with, which I'm sure it had probably been a pretty good interview. Sure, I mean, I'll take nothing away from him about being an interesting well-read well-spoken guy yeah i just saw manson and rob zombie two weeks ago uh-huh. uh, in uh, guilford new hampshire a close friend of mine is like 
hey, I got two tickets to this. Do you want to go? I'm like, nope, but I really like spending time with you, so I will go. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'd seen Manson open for Nine Inch Nails a couple times and, uh, you know, in the 90s. Uh, and I was like, okay, it's, you know, it's a show. It's fine. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a coworker earlier today. I was like, I've probably seen two to 3,000 shows yeah. in my 43 years. And... Said the Marilyn Manson performance I saw two weeks ago, bottom five, like just unbearably awful. I mean, he's very doughy now. Yeah. uh, But which, whatever, whatever, we all change, you know. But dress for your body type. (laughs) Because he's still wearing these skin tight things and he's just, his man tits are pouring out of these leather outfits. And it, so he's wearing glitter when he, when he starts, he's covered in glitter, and three or four songs in, my friend's like, what's that line on his face? Because he's got a line basically going from his, across his jawline, and I was like, oh, it's all the glitter pooling in between his chins now. <laughs> and it just, like, gathered, and, uh, you know, like, he forgot the words to Beautiful People. I'm like, you've been singing that song for 25 years now. Like, Yeah. And then, and I had never seen Rob Zombie before, and it was the opposite of that. You know, I... He's one of those guys, I really want to like him, and, you know, he seems like a really, like, he'd be a fun guy to hang with. Yeah. Like, he seems like... Very smart. Yeah, very smart, but also doesn't take himself seriously. He's like, can you believe I get to, I get paid to do this shit? Yeah. But I was never like, you know, musically, I'm just like, hey, it's it's bubblegum metal. Yeah. Uh, But put on a fucking show. Right. Like, I was blown away. I was like... Rob Zombie's fucking great. Uh, but I was like, how do you do a co-headlining tour and just, h- how do you watch the guy after you do this and be like, no, what I did is fine. Like, I don't I th- get it. I think that's another, like, I think he, Marilyn Manson's been Marilyn Manson for right. so long and now he just believes it, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting with a guy like Marilyn Manson. Like, yeah, you'd think that he's like, okay, I'm going to do these, like, small arena tours probably like maybe diet or exercise get right. myself in I'm shape be closer for to it. people yeah 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 it's also it's funny the the older he gets the more he and he he and nicholas cage are starting to look alike right just look at pictures of them. i was just like it might be the same guy <laughs> it's definitely not paul from the wonder years it's that, nicholas cage oh right there was yeah that. there was that thing for a long time that would be cool though if uh, Nicholas Cage just turned out to be Marilyn Manson. That would add a whole new level yeah, to like, like, wow, that guy Nick really Cage is a good actor. Craziness. Yeah. He's been pulling that off for twenty five years. He's one of those guys I've never gotten to uh, work with, and it's kind of a drag. Nicholas Cage or yeah. Marilyn Manson? No, Nicholas Cage. Uh, oh, in, in your other life? In my other life, yeah. yeah I've never got to yeah. do anything with him. I'm sure, it'd be fascinating. Sure, sure, totally fascinating. Um, do you want? Do you want to talk about what you do in in your alter ego? Sure, your, sure. Yeah. My alter ego, my. Well, that's my that's my regular ego or ego. Right. Old man gloom is my alter ego mm-hmm. because I spend you know seventy plus hours a week in the movie business. Right. So, um, yeah, I do I do props and yep. set dressing in movies and TV in New York. How'd you get into that? Um, kind of like you get into anything in New York, you know, you're, you're unemployed and you're young and somebody's like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I do this. And they're like, oh, can I do that? And you're like, yeah, sure. Right. So I think at some point I was underemployed and I had a friend who was working in a prop building shop and, uh, you know, we were talking and I was like, yeah, I need work. He's like, well, have you ever worked in a wood shop before? I was like, well, I've worked in metal fabricating shops and yeah. I've worked, you know, 
making jewelry and I, I was like, I cast gold and silver for a long time yeah. and I worked in all kinds of metal shops and he was like, yeah, that's, that's close enough. Yeah. And so I started there in a wood shop and I ended up being there for, you know, th- maybe two or three, maybe three plus years, just prop building, yeah. you know? And so that was, it was for window displays, um, like large scale window displays, like Macy's and, sure. you know, the Louis v- big Louis Vuitton stores and yeah. shit like that. And so from there, I transitioned into working more on photo shoots. I worked at a magazine, an interior decorating magazine and doing, you know, prop styling and props and yeah. being their kind of like all around build it guy for their sets. And, uh, at some point as print started dying, I started applying to the union in New York to get in the TV and movie union. And for years and years they wouldn't let me in. And I finally got in and yeah, I've been doing that for all together probably since like 2006, maybe. Okay. So about 13 years. Yeah. And I've been in the, the movie union since 2011. Okay. So eight years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. It's yeah. it's fucking hard work, but the money's great. And, you know, I get to work on some cool things. Yeah. I work on a lot of garbage, you yeah. know, but. I mean, it's work. It's work. Yeah. You know, I've done more cop shows than I'd like to <laughs> remember. Yeah. But I also, you know, I did many seasons of Girls, which I thought was fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, it was a great show. Really great job. I did Broad City, which was not the whole season, but I did three or four seasons. Yeah. That was great. Um, right now, I'm on a Sesame Street job that yeah. is, I mean, really basically my dream job. Sure. Uh, it's awesome. You know, working with puppeteers that have been on Sesame since the 70s. You know, right. One guy has been Snuffy and Tully Monster since the fucking 70s, you know. and That's, that's going to be surreal. Being it's surreal. I grew up like a tense and obsessed. Yeah. So I was totally obsessed with The Muppet Show, Fraggle Rock, Sesame Street, obviously, um, but yeah, like Fraggle Rock, Muppet Show, the Muppet movies, those were my jam. I love the Dark Crystal. Have you have you delved into the Netflix? I watched episode? half of one episode last night. What and do you I, think? I, uh, well, you know, the, it's it's funny. It's an interesting thing because the Dark, the Dark Crystal isn't good. It's right. fucking hard to watch. Yeah. It's, the pacing is really fucked up. Yeah. The story is weird. And it's this thing for kids, but it's like... But it's complicated. You shouldn't show kids no, that it's movie. complicated. It's dark. It's yeah. scary, and it like it moves like the fucking deer hunter. Right. It's really quiet. Yeah. It's it's a spooky movie. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I don't know if you've tried to watch the Dark Crystal anytime recently. I have. I mean, so full disclosure, I have an enormous Dark Crystal tattoo on my. Oh back. no shit! <laughs> it's it's so to me, The Empire Strikes Back is the greatest film ever made. But then my second favorite film is The Dark Crystal. But so. you get it. Like, oh, for sure. It was a movie made for kids, but it's like, it's fucking weird. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it's one of those things, I can't I, I can't look at it objectively, because I'm like, this was such a part of my childhood, like, building blocks, but I'm like, maybe this is why I'm fucked up. That and the, the horse dying in The NeverEnding Story, oh I'm like, God. that had such a, a, a side story. I'll tell you this real quick. I was working at, at Trader Joe's, uh, you know, a, a month ago. Yes. Yeah. This PT Cruiser drives by, and I look at the license plate. I'm like, that's either a very specific vanity plate or has nothing to do with what I think it does. And I see the guy who comes in, and I was like, please come in here because I have to ask you about this vanity plate. I'm on the register. He comes in, so I make note of what he looks like. Is it Artex? Yeah. <laughs> so 
he comes through my, like, you know, he's coming up and I'm like, I'll help you right over here. Someone's like, I was in line first. I'm like, you fuck off. I got to talk to this guy. I got business to attend to. So I was like, Hey, do you have a vanity plate? He's like, no. And I was like, you lying son of a bitch. He's like, Oh wait, no, I'm driving my wife's car. She does. I was like, do you know what her vanity plate stands for? And he looks at me and he's like, yes, I do. And I was like, okay, is it a never ending story reference? And he like gets this look like he's seen a ghost. He's like, it is. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what it is from the movie, but it's her favorite movie. And that's what it is. And he's like, you're the only person that's ever said something to me. He's <laughs> like, totally how do you know that? that? I was like, cause I'm a massive fucking nerd. He's like, okay. He's like, what is it? I was like, it's the horse that dies in the swamp of eternal sadness. He's like, I had to have a talk with my wife. <laughs> But I was just like, oh, that's amazing. It's fucking that, like, the music, the way it's shot, the actual horse going into the mud, which I don't know how the fuck they right. shot. Like, I've watched I've watched that recently, and I'm like, I don't know how they shot that and got away with it. Because that fucking horse is panicking, and it's yeah. in mud. Yeah. Up to its, like, yeah. up to its mouth. The only thing And its that... fucking eyes are haunting. Yeah, he's like, they're killing me. That's yeah, I'm and dying the, right the now. music is insanely sad. There's also this moment in there where the rockbiter's like... It looked like such strong hands in that like quiet monologue where yeah. they walk up and the rock biter's talking about his hands just over and over. Like it, it's crazy. Like it feels like a, a movie monologue that would have been really effective in like, you know, a 70s Scorsese movie or something right. where like he's talking to himself and he's talking about his hands and like say they his don't. Friends. Yeah, like, they just come upon him, and he's talking about his hands. They look like such strong hands. And then he, you know, reveals that he's like, I couldn't hold on to them, but they look like such strong hands. And he's so sad, and the music is so sad. And the way they shot it, it's all gray. Yeah. It's it's so heavy. Yeah. It's yeah. so fucking heavy. And, like, the, the same with The Dark Crystal. Like, I, I, I can't even watch it now as a 41-year-old because it's so weird. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. Like I, I, I was really enjoying the you know twenty thirty minutes I watched last night right. of the episode. Um, I think this, I think the Gelflings don't look as good as the original Gelflings. That's the, I'm I'm about twenty minutes into the first episode too, and that's that's the thing. And also recognizing some of the voices takes me out of it completely. Right. You didn't know any of the voices from the original. I mean, they're you know they're their career voice actors yeah. who have, most of them have passed on but yeah. but most of them it seems like they didn't even make a passing attempt to be like can you try and sound like this person who recorded this you know 35 years ago so, oh so you're saying like matching the uh, like the skexy voices and yeah and there's like you know Sigourney Weaver's the the narrator and stuff like that and every time I hear it I'm like here's Sigourney Weaver talking about the Dark Crystal right so which I, I get it because you want stars in it but at the same time I'm like it's taking me out of it oh uh, I don't know if that 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 I don't know if that's gonna bother me because I get it and I uh, you know yeah I think that part doesn't throw me yeah the 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 Gelfling faces threw me a lot yeah which I don't under I don't understand why they're not better than the original Gelflings sure. because that was, you know, 35 years ago or whatever. Yeah. And puppet technology is, you know, crazy good yeah. now as I, as I know from working with them, yeah. but like their mouths don't move right. They're yeah. really like rubbery. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's it. I guess I would have to look at the original Gelflings and maybe they weren't like 
molded rubber like they are now. Right. I don't know what it is. I thought the Skeksis looked really cool. Yeah. Um, I liked that they kind of embellished them a little bit more. Sure. Um, so, uh, drop some drop some names, but the, one of the guys that I'm working with on this Sesame project that I'm doing, it's a it's not Sesame Street proper. It's a Sesame Workshop. Uh, spin-off for the okay. Apple streaming platform. Okay. Um, it's it's going to be great. It's, it's it's fucking funny. It's it's really cool. Um, so that'll it'll come out whenever the Apple platform happens. But one of the guys on it, this guy named Tim Legas, who I never met before, he worked on the Dark Crystal building all those uh, puppets. So I got to like really pick his brain as like right you know what he went through, and he sort of like you know. So I got a little taste of what was to come, and I you know. Showed me a few little photos and it was really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm now watching it. I'm really he's you know I got to see some detail of the Skeksis and that was really cool. Yeah. And so those I was expecting and I was like, whoa, those look fucking awesome. Yeah. But the the Gelflings, yeah. Yeah. Really thrown. Yeah. And I, you know. I knew this. I knew there was going to be a lot of Gelflings because it's a prequel and, you know, it's about the existence of Gelflings. But I guess all the different sort of faces and they kind of like, they kind of gave them uh, races almost. You know, there's like Asian-y looking ones and there's more white looking ones and that throws me a little bit. Um, I did like those other weird little servant creatures. I thought those looked pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the CGI stuff hasn't thrown me, yeah. you know? But, yeah, it hasn't been as jarring as I thought it might have been. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't, like, story-wise, yeah. I'm, like, I haven't gotten into it. I haven't dug in at all. So far, to me, it feels like... Because the mythology that they talked about in the original film, you know, the, the how the land came... I'm like, this seems like you're diverging from... Which is okay, I mean... Because it was basically a thumbnail sketch. This is what happened for the last thousand years. Right. Now, here's the story where now they're filling it in, but, because, I mean, from what I remembered, the, you know, the Skeksis and the Mystics used to be, you know, they were all... They, they were one. They, yeah, and at the end of the Dark Crystal, sorry, spoiler, they get, <laughs> they get reunited right. with their counterparts, whereas this, they're like, Skeksis came from another planet and took over Thra. Uh, so I was just like, huh, okay, so I wonder how they're going to justify... Yeah, that. like, I wonder, I wonder if, so then are they saying that, like, the, the Skeksis came from another planet, they took it over, and then at some point they split from themselves but then it's like who knows maybe they're maybe this will come in the rest of the season they do have to like implant the good part of them in the characters in order for them to split and become right. the mystics right unless the split has already happened and they you know i'm sure there's someone listening to this conversation right now and be like you fucking dicks why don't you watch the show it right. explains it right totally but yeah know. maybe the split has already happened but yeah, you'd imagine if that, like, this, the Skeksis and the Mystics were, were one, that they wouldn't be as, like, you know, kind of craggy and grotesque and right. fucked up. Yeah. Um, because they seem like, the Skeksis, in what I've seen so far, seem exactly like the Skeksis from the original film. Yeah, they, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and they look just like it, which is a win, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think they embellished, like, the armor and their, you know, their their props and sure, you know, their faces a little bit. Improved you know, the yeah. animatronics inside, in the, right. you know, in the last four decades. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, it's this job is like, I mean, especially in the, I'm seven months into it now, it's a very, it's a long job, so, you know, 
it's all died down a little bit. But in the first couple of weeks, I was just like with the puppeteers, I was circling them like a creep. And like, as soon as I'd be meet one, I'd be like, Hey, I'm sounds, you know, and what do you do? And, yeah. and it, they, they love talking about it, which I learned quickly. You know, one guy, this guy, Johnny Kennedy is such a, you know, well, so there was one young puppeteer on my show and she was like, Oh, you're one of us. Like you're a total Henson nerd. Right. She's like, okay. So Johnny K, that guy, he's the one who's like the puppet ninja. If you need a character on Sesame to throw a fish across the room and land in a basket, that's the guy. Yeah. And so I talked to him. Turns out he worked the eyeballs and uh, on dinosaurs in Not oh, the Mama. Right I'm like, yo, you fucking worked Not the Mama? That's right. amazing. That's awesome. you know? And so he did the original dinosaurs. Then I talked to this guy, Jim Krupa, and she was like, Jim Krupa, he's the mechs guy. Like, if you need a puppet with mech, he's like the fucking godfather of mechs yeah. in like, the whole Henson world. And so I talked to him, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I did this, I did that. I built all the puppets on Eureka's Castle. I was like, what? You built all the fucking puppets on right. Eureka's Castle? Yeah. And he's just like, he's the mech guy. Nice. And there's like a, who knows if it's real or not, but there's like a story where he, you know, Henson was suing him, and then they, they went, and he was like, hey, let's just have a beer, you know. And they went and had a beer, and they, they hit it off, and Henson was like, all right. I'm not going to sue you. You can work with us. And like, you know, absorbed him into the Henson right, world. Right. And, uh, you know, the, you know, that sort of trope in Ocean's Eleven where they're like, you shook Sinatra's hand. You should know the rules. It's the same thing. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Jim was around. You know, he worked with Jim. Right. And that guy, he came in right after Jim. So he didn't work with Jim, but he worked with Jim. And it's right. like working with Jim Henson is like a real thing where yeah. like that guy worked with Jim Henson that guy came later so he's not you know as old school sure but yeah because I mean it's the company's named after a man who's been dead 25 years yeah I mean I don't know about you I'm sure you're the same as me but I remember when it happened I was a kid and that was the first celebrity death where I was fucking sad oh yeah and I didn't go to school and my mom was like you don't have to go to school today because I was just like no yeah. N.O. Jim Henson what and that was like a real thing that was a real intense thing for me yeah and I had, you know, VHS copies that I would, like, record from television of The Muppet Show. I had all the episodes, and I would just watch them and watch them and watch them. Yeah. Same with The Muppet Movies. I would just, you know, watch them on repeat. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, that was, I, I mean, I remember distinctly just being devastated when he died. And it was, because I was like, this is someone who not just made stuff for me, but, like, got me. And, like, it was like an adult who was not pandering you know, it was just like he was in it. This was, you know, imagination was something that just led him on a daily basis. Yeah. And I was like, and he's fucking gone. And I was just like, oh, man. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, I still think about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, all of that stuff holds up. You know, you go yeah. back and you watch any of those Muppet movies, any of the Muppet shows, it's, it's not just for kids right. it's just funny and that's one thing i appreciate more than anything now as dad and as you know someone who makes television and someone who writes myself it's like if it's fucking funny it's funny right and that's what the muppets were they were funny right and it wasn't like you know i watch kids shows now not with my daughter she's too young but like with my nieces and i'm yeah. just like this is this sucks it's yeah. not funny it's yeah. like it's playing down and it's really just too like the curriculum is just so intense and yeah. the like the those those curriculum concepts are just shoved so hard down people's throats and it's like man just show a crayon factory like right. that's what that's what worked for us right. 
you know, a pinball machine that counted to 12, great. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Harry, Harry Belafonte coming on and singing with some puppets, like, fucking awesome. Right. You know, right. now it's just so... And we, I will say, the one of the big drawbacks on the show that I'm working on now, the Sesame Show, is that is the curriculum. Yeah. And the curriculum is really intense. Yeah. And somebody told me, a, you know, again, one of these Sesame folklore stories about how, you know, one of the last times Frank Oz was on, you know, doing, he did Grover. Right. And one of the last times he went in and, like, did Grover, they were like, oh, no, Frank, you can't have him fall that way. It's too dangerous. We can't encourage that. And they were like, you need to do it again. And he went in and he did it the exact same way. And they're like, no, Frank, you can't do that. Right. And I think that, and he did it again. And it was just the same thing. And he's like, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. And it was the curriculum thing, you know, it's like playing down to kids sure. and the, uh, you know, the over coddling and the, the, you know, every, nothing can be even remotely dangerous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so intense now. I, uh, I had a, you know, a conversation with a much younger coworker a couple weeks ago, you know, because working at a grocery store, we've got all the cart wipes. Yeah. And you see adults do that. And, you know, he was asking me, he's, he's a 20 year old guy, and he's just like, we spent a lot of money on those wipes, huh? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's good because of all the horrible cart germ deaths of the 80s that we had. We really had to come up with a solution. He's like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, people were dying left and right from all the, diseases they were getting from carbs he's like for real i was like no i was like it helped our immune system we're yeah i'm like you're supposed to get dirt in your system like it's you know you're you're supposed to see fucked up you're supposed to see grover fall in a weird way yeah and, you it's know, fucking funny yeah. and like you know you have to trust your kid isn't so stupid that they're gonna like i don't know i mean whatever accidents <laughs> happens i i did I did so many crazy things as a kid, but that's just, that's what you do, right. you know, when you get hurt. And like, I I am protective of my kid, but I'm also like, I'm not going to stop her from playing with a sick kid. It's like, play with the fucking sick kid. Right. Get sick. You know, whatever. Who right. cares? Yeah. You, you know, I feed her everything. Just give her everything. I was talking to somebody who was like, well, have you given her peanuts? Because, you know, what if she has an allergy? I'm like, she doesn't have a fucking allergy because I give her fucking peanuts. Right. Just, just feed her everything. Just right. do, like, just... You know, yeah, it's, it's, there's been a lot of moments that on our show where the puppeteers would do something really funny and curriculum would come in and be like, Ooh, no, can't have that. It's mm. just like, oh. right. Whatever. Yeah. Just took all the fun away. <laughs> took all the funny away. Huh. But yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I know you're, you're waiting to, to yeah, do some dinner. Fun. Um, I, I have one nerd question that's been. I yeah. thought about it when I was coming over. I was like, because ah, I didn't even realize it had bugged me. And so on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. a little super special secret bonus. Oh, the bonus yeah. track, yeah. So I know the guys from Cave In are singing along too. Who's singing the lead on that? That's though? me. Okay, that's what I yeah. thought. Because I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is the only voice I don't recognize from anywhere <laughs> right. else. And yeah, I was just it. like, yeah, it's a young Santos. Yeah, wailing on some uh, Mr. Big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, it's uh, I. Way back when you know I used to make mix CDs for people all the time. That that went on all oh, the time. Oh God, that's and people mortifying. were like, "Wait, this is that band?" I was like, "Yeah, but not really. This is them." That's yeah. truly embarrassing. <laughs> I, and sometimes that'll come up on like a shuffle or something, and I'll just be like, yeah. "Ooh, no, 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 yeah, no, yeah. skip, 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 skip." <laughs> but so the the briefly the story about that is that we were on a Caven tour, and yeah. some kid in Florida asked Caven to play his radio show. Yeah, and and we were on our way, and it had to be acoustic. We were in the van, and 
you know, we kind of decided like, let's just learn a bunch of covers. Yeah. And so we learned a ton of covers. We showed up and just played all these goofy covers. And this kid was bummed. He thought it was going to be like a cave-in acoustic, acoustic set. But right. like, that doesn't really work right now. Sure. You know, Steve could do an acoustic set of like Steve songs and maybe yeah. like New Moon or whatever. But like, it just didn't. Sure. It just wasn't in the cards. And so we did that. And I don't know if he aired it or whatever, but he was bummed. But I have a CD of it. We did Mr. Big. We did More Than Words by Extreme. We Which did Steve and Marissa Nadler. Yeah, did, now they uh, do that. The Drone Flower. Tour. We did Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. Right. Um, we did Patience by Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. We did Ooh La La by, um, uh, what's his name? The, well, The Faces. Yeah. Uh, Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart, yeah. Um, we did. What else? We did a couple other things, and the kid hated it. But uh, I have the record of it. It's pretty. It's pretty entertaining. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What? Um, so when you guys decided you were going to continue, you know, after Caleb's passing, uh, you know, obviously Steve played for the for the the benefit shows, the tribute shows. Um, was it? I mean, was there? How did it come about that it was a decision that he was going to be the guy to to play going forward? It really wasn't even like just kind of happened. No conversation about yeah. it. Like we, so if you, we did a, a converge tour, Old Man Gloom converge in Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. So yeah. six years ago, something like that. And Caleb just couldn't. He agreed to it, so we booked it. And then when it got closer, he. It turned out he wasn't going to be able to do it. Sure. And so Caleb suggested having Steve do it. And we all were like, that makes the most sense. Because, you know, Steve, we've known Steve as long as we've known Caleb. He's just as close as as Caleb was. And he's such a talented musician um, that it was like, that's a pretty natural fit. Steve was stoked to do it. So that... You know, So there was a precedent already. Yeah, we, we had already been, like Steve had already played bass. In, and Caleb had picked Steve to play bass for him. Sure. So when all this happened, you know... Like a Caleb had already decided this. Yeah, Caleb had sort of already made the decision, and Steve obviously, you know, was really... Yeah. You know, he had no hesitations. And I don't I don't know what the conversations were like with Caven, but I'm, I'm assuming it was kind of the same thing. It's with like Nate. going to the... Going out of our very close circle would have felt weird. Sure. Um, and I don't think it was an option for anybody, Yeah, you know? And so just Nate doing Cave-In and Steve doing Old Man Gloom, it's just, it's just the, it's just natural. Sure. The right thing to do. Sure. And uh, it's been, I mean, for us, I'm sure in Cave-In it's the same thing, but for us, it's like having Steve and Old Man Gloom now, it adds a dimension that we weren't prepared for. Sure. He's so fucking good. Yeah. You know, I mean... But you made a post yesterday where he's got the the whiteboard. And oh yeah, 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 he's making us do math. Yeah, I mean it's just you know Steve is on. He's way better than all of us at our instruments. So having him come in is it's it's only going to make us better. Yeah, <laughs> you know it makes everything so much easier because he he just he knows it. He just knows everything before we know it. So, sure, you know I expect this week. You know, Nate's going to have to play to a bunch of Aaron songs that we did in Seattle. Right. And Aaron's not here. He's not going to be here this week. So Steve is going to have to be the one to be like, oh, no, that's what this is. And right. it's like we have this fucking magical unicorn musician now who can just, like, guide us right. through our fucking debauchery. Right. So, right. yeah, it's been it's been really great. It's been really comfortable. 
and I can't imagine going on stage with with anybody else. Yeah, you know, and Caleb occupied a very specific place on stage with me, you know, with Zozobra and yeah. with Old Man Gloom. It's like I've not been on stage without Caleb many times in my life, mm-hmm. and so the first couple times were really difficult, but especially this last week in Denver. It was the first time where I went out on stage and I was with Steve and we were goofing off, making jokes. Aaron was smiling. Nate was smiling. You know, people were stoked. And it was the first time since Caleb has not been around that it was like there was a levity to Old Man Gloom. Yeah. And it really felt like progress, you know. That's awesome. It felt, it it was just this moment of like, okay, I think we can do this. Yeah. You know, and it was Steve occupied the space in a different way than Caleb. Sure. And but in a way that was totally still comforting and comfortable for me um and fun. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was really the first show that it's been like okay, this is this is going to be okay. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I selfishly share my favorite Caleb memory? Sure. I mean, I know it's you're a friend, but it's something that I've like. No, to, no, no. You know, please, 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 please. It's, it's one of those things I've. So, uh, fittingly, the last time I saw Caleb on stage was with Old Man Gloom in Portsmouth, yep. that 3S show. And, you know, uh, Adam and I had become friendly for a couple years after that. I, Adam had played my. I, I put on a show for my 39th birthday at my brother's recording studio and then for the 40th one the first time they had played as Nomad Stones was at my birthday party yeah. so it was kind of a cool thing so asking him and Terry if they were going to go to the show and they're like ah oh, we can't make that and I was just like ah oh, man old man Schofield's going to be in Portsmouth and you're not going to be there and it just tickled at him that I call that I would refer to Caleb as old man Schofield <laughs> he's like call him out to his face and see if you get away with it so you know, you guys play, just tore the roof off of the venue, and there was hardly any people there, which just blew my mind. Yeah, it was not a great turnout. It was, you know, and, you know, I was posting pictures, and people were like, wait, Old Man Gloom played there? And I was like, yep. <laughs> and they're like, how come I didn't know about it? I'm like, ask the venue, you know. it's But regardless, it was a great show, and, you know, um, Afterwards, I saw Caleb, and I walked up to him, and I was like, what's up, old man Schofield? Like, very hesitant, because, you know, he's, you know... He's an intense guy. Yeah, he's not, not an incredibly tall guy, but, you know, just, he's he built, like, an Oaks branch, you know... Yeah, uh, oak, jacked. Oaks, yeah, just jacked, and I just said that, and he looked at me for a second, and he just gave me that fucking million-dollar grin, and he's like... I like that. You just come up with that. I'm like, no, I've been I've been trying it out on Adam for he's like, <laughs> right on, right on. And, but and it was very simple, but like I think of that and that's like that's like my own favorite memory of yeah. Caleb Schofield. That's very Caleb too. Yeah. He didn't get he man, when you could get him laughing though, it was the best. Yeah. He was not an easy one though. He didn't fucking he didn't he didn't give it up if you didn't deliver <laughs> yeah so it felt like it felt like an earned smile and an earned laugh oh, yeah. so i was just like i appreciate that i'll tell you like me and caleb really we had to work fucking hard to make each other laugh yeah and we yeah it was like we were both really focused on making the other one laugh <laughs> and yeah it was when you could get him it was nothing better yeah yeah that's awesome 
Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. To talk oh, my to me. pleasure. And if I had known we were going to talk about puppets the whole time, <laughs> like let's stop talking about music. Yeah, let's get to puppet music. talk. Let's talk about puppets. But, and I do, you know, fucking twenty years of music that have definitely enhanced my life. So oh, much thanks, appreciation man. of that. Yeah. You and me both. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Bill. No problem. <laughs>